I'm delighted to welcome Rick Higgins back to the Lakeview pulpit. He's preached here on numerous occasions over the last several decades <laughs> here and in the other uh, campus before we relocated here. Rick and I have known each other for about 40 years or more. Uh, he is a dear friend. He is a brother in Christ. He is a preacher of the gospel of the grace of God. And he and I agree that I couldn't do his job and he couldn't do mine. God has gifted us differently. And we agree that that is the beauty of the body of Christ. Every member of the body is uniquely placed in the body of Christ by the Lord where he determines. And uh, what a unique ministry that Rick and Kim have with Harvest Evangelism, Hosanna Home for the Ladies, His Place for the Men, and Rick's preaching ministry, Kim's speaking ministry, uh, diverse places, and we're glad to call them uh, late viewers. I've asked Rick tonight, I've given him an assignment, I've asked him to preach a biographical sermon. If you've been around uh, a while, you'll remember that we've had Timothy George come here on numerous occasions and give us biographical sermons of some of the great heroes of the faith, mostly with the Lord in heaven. Though he did give us, well, I think all of them that he gave us were people in, in heaven. And uh, Harry Reader's come and done the same thing, and I've asked Rick to come tonight and speak to us about the life of David Wilkerson. Maybe some of you in my generation saw that movie and read that book, The Cross and the Switchblade. We need to know about these 20th century uh, spiritual giants like David Wilkerson. I know of no one more qualified to tell us about his life and ministry than Rick. Come, Rick. Whatever happened to anguish in the house of God? Whatever happened to anguish in the ministry? It's a word you don't hear in this pampered age. You don't hear it. Anguish means extreme pain and distress. The emotion so stirred that it becomes painful. Acute, deeply felt inner pain because of conditions about you, in you or around you. Anguish, deep pain, deep sorrow, agony of God's heart. We've held on to our religious rhetoric and our revival talk, but we've become so passive. Our so-called awakenings, our stirrings, last but a short time. And when the, the re short-lived revivings and awakenings come from the hand of God, they are so short-lived. And in those times, we promise God we'll never return to our passivity. But it's not long, it's just weeks or months and we're back and this time we slip further back into passivity than when we started. I speak from experience. And we say this time, oh God, you've touched me for life. I'll never be the same. And it's like fireworks. A loud bang, a lot of noise and then it dies. For more than 40 years, that voice has 
rang in my head and echoed in my heart. That's David Wilkinson preaching one of the last sermons that he ever preached at Times Square Church, a church he founded there in the heart of New York City, Broadway and 51st Street. I know Hal and David Birdshaw and Joe Sizemore got to go up with me one time years ago there. What a, what a great church, what an unusual man David Wilkerson was. And even before I heard his voice, his voice to me is so distinct. Uh, when I was younger, I would stand in front of the mirror and try to say, God, 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 said so I could do God like him. But I'm from Alabama, it just comes out God. So, um, but before I even heard his voice, I read his words. Growing up in Society Hill, Alabama, poor country boy, my mama would get the leftover Guide Post magazine from the beauty parlor. And can I remember as a boy, I went back to check the dates and it would have been 1967, 68. Guide Post magazine printed the cross of the switchblade, a book that Brother Wilkerson went chapter by chapter, the first and only time ever that Guide Post magazine has ever done that. And it resonated across America, and it resonated in a young boy's heart. Altogether, Brother Al, I was looking up, Cross of the Switchblade has sold over 50 million copies over the years. You don't judge something by the sale alone, but 50 million people's heart who were touched by that book. And um, a young Ricky Hagins, I wasn't Rick back then, I was just Ricky. It touched me, it stirred me. It was the same time the Jesus movement was moving across America. Like Brother Al mentioned, a lot of hippies and street people, a whole generation was being challenged, and many were accepting the challenge and being saved and born again and literally taking the gospel out onto the streets. My dad ran the Sinclair Station there on the corner of, uh, of Glen and College. My mom ran the Santa Freeze. If you ever ate a Santa Fe's chili dog, what was my dad's recipe? So I grew up right there on the corner of Glen and College, roaming up and down the streets, going to the Tiger Theater there on College, or slipping around the corner to the old War Eagle there on, around on Magnolia. And sometimes when I'd be going to theater, even back then, I, I have vague but distinct memories of college students just praising God there in front of Sanford Towers. Uh, just college students calling out to God. Churches being stirred. A, a great revival was birthed out of Providence Baptist out in Borgar where over 40-something young men were called into the ministry that are either still in the ministry today or have gone on to glory. I keep up with, with many of them. Billy Duncan visits here a lot and has family here. And David Wilkinson was very much the voice of that generation. When I read those words in the Cross on the switchblade, it stirred me. I was just nine years old, but I thought, I'm going to go find that man. He sounded like he could use help. And uh, so I went to vacation Bible school at Society Hill, Miss Blanton, Mrs. Strunk, Preacher Husky's wife, Miss Husky, Miss Talbert. They taught me. And uh, on a Sunday morning, I heard Preacher Husky preach on Isaiah chapter 6. Whom will go for me? Whom shall I send? I remember two things. I remember the scripture. I remember Preacher Husky wore cowboy boots. Brother Al likes to wear cowboy boots too. And for a nine-year-old boy, that affected me. And I was amazed that nobody would volunteer for God. 
was saying, who will go for me? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah 6, a young Isaiah said, here am I. Send me, unqualified, untrained, but willing. And so I went home that night thinking about David Wilkerson in New York City, what I had read in that cross on the Swiss blade. I packed me a duffel bag with my Bible, some clean underwear, some grits and a frying pan. And I climbed out the window, wrote a note to my mom, made perfect sense to a nine-year-old. If you're nine, don't do this, boys or girls. Brother Rick learned. And I ran away from home. I took to his place, guys, just recently out there. And I said, this is my house. The house is gone, right there at the Lazenby's. But I walked all the way to Opelika with a duffel bag with every intention of hopping on a freight train going to New York City, finding David Wilkerson and Nicky Cruz and Israel Navarez, Cookie Rodriguez, that, all those people I had read about. Chief Trussell thought otherwise when he caught me hopping on a freight train there in downtown Opelika. He said, what in the world are you doing, Ricky? Everybody knows everybody back in those days. Are you being abused at home or hungry? I said, no, I'm going to preach. And they're like, he's a nut. Remember on Andy Griffith Barney said, he's a nut. <laughs> and looking back, that's a good psychological assessment of me. <laughs> but God has stirred my heart from the words of a book, The Cross of the Switzerland, written there in Guidepost magazine. So I didn't make it to New York. I actually made it, uh, I made it to the OPD, Opelika Police Department. I told her his place, guys, uh, I learned something that day. The backseat in police cars, doors don't work on the inside. So I tried to get out and get away. But they were nice to me. Chief Trussell was nice. My mom and dad were weeping. But what do you say for a kid that's running away from home to go preach? John Knight was a pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Opelika at that time. And they took me to see Reverend Knight for some reason. And providentially, he had never had any children. He kind of took me in as a project from that day on. Later on, gave me most of his library. And so I can look back and say, I didn't make it to New York at that time. But I set out. And sometimes God's will and your watch don't coincide. I thought God wanted me to go then. And, and obviously, he didn't. But to tell you the truth... Well, I didn't make it to see David Wilkerson at that time. Later on, my mama took me to see him preaching in Columbus, Georgia, in the old auditorium there. Some of you told me you were. I think Mike Speakman said he went to that one. I know some of you others said you were there. Then later on, he came to preach in Valley, Alabama, and I got to hear that voice. I had just read the voice, but once I heard his voice, it was captivated. Uh, some preachers, their words are just so powerful. If you could read C.S. Lewis and not be moved, you need to either take advanced English or take a Sunday school because it'll move you, C.S. Lewis. Uh, you know, when you can read John Bunyan's um, book, which is not easy to book, The Pilgrim's Progress, it moves you. But for Brother Wilkerson, there was something about his voice that, at least to me, and I think to a generation, was very much a part of it. So when I'd go hear him preach in Columbus twice and in Valley once, I'd buy every book I could get. This is back before we had a lighthouse Christian bookstore in Opelika. Actually started in Auburn. And so I'd go to those meetings and I'd buy every book brother they've had. Eventually, Brother Wilkerson wrote over 40 books. Crossing the Switchblade is listed by Christianity Today as the 32nd most influential Christian book of all time. He's like, number 32, if you're number 32 at Auburn, you don't last. But when you're number 32 with... Augustine, City of God in front of you, and 
mere Christianity and screw tape letters in front of it. Number 32 is high cotton. Brother, that was a prolific writer. I'm going to read his books. He, once you went to his meetings, you got on the mailing list. I always tell our guys, invite people to be on the mailing list. We do a little newsletter every month. I put a message in there. We have testimonies. I got on Brother Dave's mailing list, and every month you'd get that message from him. I mean, it was like meat to my soul. It was, it was deep. It was theologically sound, but it was passionate. And I would hold punch in messages, and at one time, and probably still have it in a box somewhere, I had just uh, literally hundreds of his messages that I kept. And it wasn't just me. When we'd get together out at Brother Dismukes at Society, uh, at, at Providence with Gary Dennis and Billy Duncan and Jimmy Blanton and Jerry Ray and Tommy Hillier and all the preacher boys from there, we'd talk about David Wilkerson. His messages were powerful. They were anointed. They were timely. Later on, my mama bought me a 33-LP record of David Wilkerson preaching. Now, I tell you, some of you, you got the MP3s and downloads and all this stuff. I don't even understand. All the sermons is out there in the air somewhere, and you can fetch them in just if you know what you're doing. But back then, I had a 33-LP record with Brother Dave preaching. Uh, later on, I upgraded my 33-LP records to include the greatest sermons of Jerry Clower to go with that. <laughs> That's all we had, but I would listen. Uh, Christian music was really just getting a foothold with Chuck Gerard, Love Song, Second Chapter of Acts, groups like that. And Brother Dave seemed to be the voice of that generation. Eventually, technology came, and those 33 LP records became cassette tapes. And man, I became a dealer. Not weed or dope, but man, if you could get those tapes, it was like having high-dollar baseball cards. Man, I'll swap you a Joe DiMaggio, you know, if I can get a Yogi Bear. Well, if you had a David Wilkerson, that was worth, you know, a couple of Chuck Gerrards and a love song. Everybody wanted to hear his message. He was powerful. And he touched my life immensely. I graduated high school, Opelika, in 1977. Went to church at that time with Kenneth and Patty Chance. My pastor had been, at that time, Ronnie Weaver for a season. We had a beautiful little church. We had met just in buildings here and there, but we finally were building a building over on Moores Mill Road. And so I went to some of my elders and said, I'm, I'm graduating high school. I want to be a preacher. What should I do? And they said, you need to go to Oklahoma and go to this particular Bible school. And I believed in authority and respecting authority, so I went, and I hated it. I didn't like the preachers there. I got in trouble with them all the time, which is not unusual. But uh, this was not a good time for me, other than I met Miss Kim at Bible school. And we fell in love and later on got married. But when I left Bible school there, I was so disillusioned with ministry. I thought, if this is ministry, I don't want to do it. You know, it was to get a glass pulpit and go preach at the Holiday Inn. Take up three offerings. I said, I'd rather have three altar calls, but not three offerings. Seems pushing it. And so seriously, I thought, I, I don't know what to do. I took a job for the phone company. Again, Ken Chance was one of my bosses. I didn't do the technical stuff. If your phone didn't work, it wasn't my fault. I just dug ditches. We called it underground engineering back then. Kind of made you feel highfalutin. But I got Dave Wilkerson's newsletter. He had a little Bible school in Lindell, Texas. Kim and I were dating. We were not technically engaged, but we were pretty much engaged. And the school was only six months, and I thought I'm going to give it one last chance 
to see if I'm really called to the ministry, if I should just go back to school and, and become something else. And so I went to, to Brother Dave's Bible School in Lindale, Texas, Twin Oaks Leadership Academy. It was a lot like a his place or a Hosanna home. A lot of rules, a lot of order, but a lot of opportunity to meet God. And I did meet God. I was saved. I was born again. But man, to have David Wilkson for a teacher, Dallas Home doing music, Leonard Ravenhill coming in and sitting on that stool. His sermon were two and three hours long, and I loved every minute of it. Brother Dave's mama, Grandma Wilkerson, now as Baptists, we don't believe in women preaching, but they sure teach. And Grandma Wilkerson would just teach the gospel. I love being there. God changed my life so immensely. I remember when I left there, I was looking forward. Kim and I got married within the year. Moved back to Auburn, started a ministry. But when I left there, I thought, I wish I could be a part of David Wilkerson's ministry forever. But I came back to Auburn, started a ministry on College Street. We called the Upper Room. We did one meeting there and got thrown out of the building. Too much noise and too many people in the upstairs room. If any of you go, and I know you don't go, but you got Methodist friends that go to the Avondale, that's where my coffee house was there, the Upper Room. First band we ever had was Jesus Express, a gospel bluegrass band from Sand Mountain. Half our guys from Sand Mountain. And so God's just stirring my heart. Good things are going on. I'm still somewhat frustrated and floating, not knowing what to do about church. I went back to the little Pentecostal church I had come out of, but I just thought, these guys are just different than me, you know, casting out a whistling demon, having demons in a jar, pickled demons, you know, this wasn't something I was used to with a Baptist heritage. And so eventually, listen, they, they licensed me to preach. They ordained me to preach. And uh, I got so frustrated, I made their ordination papers in a paper airplane and flew it back to them one Sunday morning and said, I'm out of here. I went to another church down the road that was a good church, good people. But back then, I would pick up people in my pickup truck, a little Toyota. And some would have 20 people to go to church every Sunday morning. Anthony was one of them. Even back then, Anthony was 10 years old, and he'd come to church with me. And one Sunday morning, I had led a midget to the Lord. Man, it was cool having a midget to hang out with you. You know, I'm a short man, so all at once I got stand the midget. He loved Jesus, but he had profanity tattooed all over his arm. And so the pastor told me, you can't bring stand the midget to church. So I just said, I quit. I just quit. I just, if church is like this, I can't be a part of it. Now, let me tell you. Church can get frustrating, but you can't quit. Church is the body of Christ, and you need to be there, and they need you to be there. Telling church that I'm not going because you're just so messed up is like telling a man you got an ugly wife. Because the church is the body of Christ. Don't be telling any man he got an ugly wife. Ain't ugly in his eyes, and he wouldn't have did the I do we wills. And so Kim and I just, what are we, we going to do? And so... I went to visit a church on the corner of uh, Dean Road called Lakeview Baptist Church, 1981. And I had heard that God was doing something special there. And we walked in. And you don't judge your spiritual life by feelings. Don't do that. Your feelings can let you down. But God gave you feelings. Some of there's, there's some good things. I felt the Spirit of God there. I sat there and saw a younger Jackson get up and preach, and I thought, man, oh man. And he would never tell you this because he's a humble man. But all those homeless people, Anthony and his crew, they pick up on a pickup truck. 
when I couldn't go and get them on Sunday morning, sometimes Brother Al would drive and pick them up. I'm in. We joined Lakeview Baptist Church. Our little ministry was growing. December 1984, I graduated Auburn. War seven-year eagle, you know. <laughs> Our little ministry had moved to five points. We were going to call it Teen Challenge. Brother Dave, one of the things he did, I'll talk about in a minute, had, he founded many ministries, including Teen Challenge, which is Christian drug and alcohol rehab that started back in the late 50s, early 60s. Uh, he pretty much let his brother Don do more of the day-to-day run of that, but he's always a spokesperson, a point person. So after I graduated from his Bible school, I said, we'll be, we'll be Teen Challenge, but at that time, a particular denomination controlled Teen Challenge, and they told me, you can't be Teen Challenge unless we own all of your property and all of your board members have to come from our church. And so I called Brother Dave and said, what am I going to do? And he said, just drop the name Teen, just be Challenge. You don't need to name team. We'll just be challenged. So we incorporated as East Alabama Challenge with our first board members, including Kenneth Chance, Judge Richard Lane, and Tom Ford, all members of Lakeview Baptist Church. Man, we were little. We were struggling, but we were making it. I graduated from school. I was so excited. My phone rang within days of graduation, and the voice was, <coughs> Brother Dave always had a call. <coughs> Rick, uh, this is Dave Wilkerson. Uh, I want to know if you'd come out to Lindell, Texas and interview about a job we have out here. That's a dream come true. That's just unbelievable. But I thought, well, I'll be letting God down. I got a minister here. It was little. It was a barbershop. Our ministry was a barbershop. We gave over leftover hot dogs from Jordan Hare Stadium. We prayed for a losing season because we always had more hot dogs when Auburn lost. During the Barfield years, we got a federal army. <laughs> We'd take them hot dogs over and uh, uh, just give it out. It was growing. People were getting saved. Things were happening. I didn't know what this. So I came to my pastor, Al Jackson, at the old lake. And I said, Brother Al, I've been offered a job to work with David Wilkerson, but I don't know if it's, this is God or if this is the devil tempting me. And Brother Al said, I can't tell you if it's God or not, but I don't think the devil is going to tempt you to work with David Wilson and Leonard Ravenhill, Keith Green, and that crew. So Kim and I drove out to Texas and did the job interview. I was so nervous. Every time Brother Dave would come in the room, I would stand up. I was kind of taught to do that out of respect. And so we were actually at, at Bonnie's house. I don't know if Bonnie's here. She got lost coming to church here tonight. But his daughter, Bonnie, actually lives at Hosanna Home now. I don't know if you realize that. His daughter... I live there. She's not in the program. She's just a friend that stays there with us, loves the girls. So we're at Bonnie's house, and Brother Day would come in, and I'd stand up. He'd walk in the kitchen, and I'd sit down. He'd come back in, and I'd stand up. And finally, he said, won't you be still? You're making me nervous. <laughs> and so he interviewed me and offered me a job. And the next two years of my life were amazing. Kim and I moved back to, to Texas. Our job technically was small-town evangelism. Listen, when you've been raised in Society Hill, you will qualify for small-town evangelism. I'd preach to Society Hill and Union Grove and Shady Grove. Man, I'd preached at the Coconut Grove before, and that ain't even a church. That's a honky-tonk out in Beulah. So I, I figured I knew small-town well. And me and his son-in-law, Roger Hayes, my best friend, we, we traveled all over Texas doing small-town evangelism. And during those times in the summer, Brother Dave gave us the honor, the privilege. He took Kim and I to New York City. Now, I've never been to anybody place bigger than Birmingham. 
And so I'm in New York City. I was Jethro Bodine coming to the city. I remember walking around thinking, my goodness, this is amazing. But I also remember going to street rallies in the Bronx and in Queens and in Brooklyn and seeing Brother Dave preach just on the street. And it was amazing. Drug addicts would come by the hundreds and hundreds. He preached a simple but anointed message. There was a power of God about his presentation that only comes from spending time with God in prayer. And all at once, people were coming to the altar call throwing cigarettes, throwing guns, throwing knives, throwing dope. He'd be standing there ankle deep with drugs and paraphernalia all around him as drug addicts gave their heart to Jesus. And I said, what is it about this man? I've loved him reading him. I've loved him listening to him. And I love him even more watching him in action. And so we worked for him for two years. matter of fact, the second year we went to New York, 1986, was the year that he's walking around Times Square. At this time, Times Square is so dirty, so filthy, drug dealers on every corner, prostitutes, the porno theaters, and Brother David is crying out to God, saying, God, put a church in New York City. The dope dealers were selling this in 1986. In 1986, Lenny Bias from University of Maryland was the number two draft pick for the Boston Celtics. Before he could even sign his contract, he overdosed on methamphetamine and died. And the dope dealers in summer of 1986 were selling, hey, we got the stuff to kill Lenny Bias. Come here, we got the stuff to kill Lenny Bias. And brother, they said, my Lord, they're selling death. They're selling death. And he called out to God to do something. And God said, you do something. Sometimes when you pray, God will send you an answer. And sometimes when you pray, God says, you are the answer for somebody. And brother, they said, I want to see a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-practicing church in the heart of the Times Square district. And the Lord told Brother Dave, you do it. And one of the honors of my life is during that summer, I was not with him right out on the streets when he prayed the prayer, but during those two weeks we were there, Kim and I were with him at Brooklyn Tabernacle in the Bronx in Queens, seeing God stir his heart. We came back to Texas, and I knew he's going to New York, and I ain't. So I went and told him, I'm going to resigned my job, head back to Sweet Home, Alabama, and it was a friendship thing, and, uh, and so I came back, and, and he went to New York and started that church. Brother Dave would not seem to be a man made to start a church in New York City. He was born in 1931 to a pastor's family in Hammond, Indiana. His grandparents were pastors, very poor pastors, very small churches. Brother Dave was saved at age eight. Miss Patty, all you youth workers, you children worker, God hears the prayers of children. At eight years old, David Wilson gave his life to Christ. Regen choir up here singing about God, listen to God. At 14 years of age, Brother Dave surrendered to a call to preach. At 14, at 21, he began to pastor small churches in Pennsylvania. Now I know we're got pastor search committee. I doubt we're interviewing many 21-year-old boys to come pastor a church. But at that time, it worked for Brother Dave. You know, he pastored a little bit of church, just a man of prayer. He was looking at Look Magazine one night. There's an article about seven young boys, young teenagers, who had murdered a polio victim, another teenager, in New York City. And Brother Dave thought they're helpless and they're hopeless. They'll never get better. I'm going to go to New York and tell him about Jesus. Well, he went to court, walked right into court, uh, held his Bible up, and Judge Fellows and other people in this 
Josh Jacks, people are in and out of court. I tell you, it's probably not a wise move. You don't just walk into court and flash out a Bible. You're probably not going to impress people. And they threw Brother Dave out, but the New York Times was there, and they got a picture of a country preacher holding up a Bible like this. And it seemed foolish, and it seemed a failure, but it made the newspaper, and all those kids on the street thought, here's a preacher willing to take a rap for us. And so Brother Dave would go down into Fort Greene, He'd go down into places in Bronx and Brooklyn trying to preach to gangsters. At this time, gangsters meant bicycle chains, maybe a switchblade, no guns, no Uzis, very little drugs at the time. But they were lost, and he would try to preach to them. And he said, I don't really have a message for them. Brother David, in his life, never drank alcohol. In his life, he never used drugs. He did not come to them and said, hey, I've been where you're at. He hadn't been where they He'd been raised in a pastor's family. But he prayed and prayed and said, God, if you don't do something, these kids are hopeless. And one day he met a couple of young men on the street from a gang called the Mau Mau, which is a Puerto Rican gang. And that gang we learned, I just looked it up there, Mau Mau means uh, that you're rough and you, you speak up meanly to authority. That was certainly Nikki and Israel. When Brother Day was preaching to him, Israel responded, at least let him give him some skin, slap his hand. Nikki just said, you leave me alone. Nikki had been raised in a family of witchcraft and voodoo and was demon-possessed by his own confession. You leave me alone. But Brother Dave kept preaching. The truth of the matter is, Nikki, who's since been a friend to Kim and I for years and years, Nikki's preached right here in this pulpit before. Uh, Nikki said, man, I'm going to tell you, I was rough on Dave. He said, I slapped that David boy around some. But Brother Dave just kept speaking to him. Matter of fact, I've got some little flyers in the back. I hope you'll all pick one up. I just took some of Brother Dave's favorite uh, quotes that I have and have some pictures of him, including a picture of him with a Bible on the back from court and a picture of him with a young Israel and uh, Nikki. And eventually Nikki and Israel listened to the gospel and got saved. Nikki's still in the ministry today. He's got to be close to 80 years old and still preaching. And I tell you what, I'm still preaching, preaching. Still a fireball for this. Israel ended up pastoring a church for years and years. And so God took Brother David and he used him and from that came the story of the cross and the switchblade. One of the quotes that's on that list there from the book, it says, uh, Nikki said, you come near me and I'll kill you. And David Wilkerson says, yeah, you could do that. You could cut me up into a thousand pieces and lay them in the street and every piece will still love you. And Nikki got saved and a lot of gangs got saved. And the Spirit of God did something that's indescribable. That book, The Cross of the Switzerland, became a movie with Pat Boone playing David Wilkerson. He never liked that. He said, what's Pat Boone going to do? Wear his white shoes and sing April Love, you know, here in the hood. Uh, Eric Estrada from Chips plays Nicky Cruz. But that movie, man, just went everywhere. That book, Crossing the Switchblade, number 32, all-time in Christian influential books. The movie became one of the first Christian books that just rocked the world. And David Wilkerson, in his life, influenced literature with his books. As I said, he wrote over 40 of them. Many of them have been recompiled and reintroduced. His book, Crossing the Switchblade, an all-time bestseller. His book, The Vision, written in 1972. If you hadn't read it, I'm telling you, you need to read it. It's the most unusual, anointed, prophetic-type book that there is. Brother Dave didn't like that genre of pr prophetic literature. Most of the stuff that would be out there on the book stands today about the different colored moons and the different colored angels and all this stuff, Brother David just, 
He didn't take a lot of stock in that. But his book, The Vision, was just God speaking in him. So many people read it and looked at it. Um, Dr. Timothy George, when he was here at church, I talked to him many times about David Wilkson. Here's a man who's brilliant, the head of Visa School of Divinity, a writer for Christianity Today, one of the smartest, most intellectual, godly men in Christendom. And he told me, he said, next to the Bible, the cross and the switchblade is the most influential book in my life. He said, can you get Dave Wilson to come speak at Beast's School of Divinity when he was still alive? And I said, Dr. George, now, are, are you sure we're talking on the same plane now? Because Brother Dave is a lightning rod. And he said, yes. He said, I don't agree with everything that he says. You ain't got to agree with everything somebody says. Matter of fact, my mama told me if two of you agree on everything, one of you is unnecessary. So some of these books, eat the apple, spit out the... Dr. George was so nice and so affirming. Then when Dr. Greg Thornberry was here speaking on the influential cities of the world, including New York City, he told the story. He said, I used to go to Times Square Church as a kid, but it got worse and worse and worse. You can't hardly go there because of drugs and alcohol, all the problems. And he said, then recently things began to change there. And he said, I'm going to ask some policemen, is this the work of Rudolph Giuliani? Is this the work, you know, of a more of a police president? And the police told Dr. Thornberry, he shared this story right here in this pulpit. He said, no, it's David Wilkerson and all those praying Christians down at Times Square Church, 51st Street and Broadway. It's changed the entire neighborhood. It's changed the entire city. And that's the kind of man Brother Dave was. He founded World Challenge, which exists and is run to this day by his son Gary, who's a fantastic preacher and a great author. Matter of fact, if you want to read a definitive book on David Wilkerson, Get Gary Wilkerson's book, simply titled David Wilkerson. Brother Alice told all of us so many times, if you want to be a great man or woman of God, you've got to read the books, the biographies of great men and women of God. That would be a good one, young preacher guys and girls, to get. In 1987, at 56, David Wilkerson founded Times Square Church. He has founded Summit School of Ministry in Pennsylvania. Times Square Church is the church, the largest, most beautiful theater in New York City. If you go there, it's so unusual because if you go there, you look out and you'll see ambassadors. A lot of UN people come. You'll see movie stars. You'll see athletes. And you'll see the most powerful people in the world sitting right by the most pitiful people. I remember one of the first times I preached there, I looked out and I saw a man that I happened to know. Somebody told me he's the ambassador to the United States from Italy, and he was sitting right by Superman. Superman. I mean, dressed up just like Superman. I didn't, I didn't see him change clothes in a phone booth, but it was Superman. And I preached, and the, the strange thing was Superman got saved filled with the Holy Ghost that night, right, at church. You've never seen nothing like a cape flying in praise and worship. <laughs> Brother, they've attracted people like that. People would come into his ministry. The rich and powerful felt comfortable with him. The, the pitiful and poor and broken felt safe with him. He was also a pastor's pastor. Uh, he was so involved in trying to minister to the church, do things for the church, especially those small country churches. And to this day, Times Square Church stands like that. I encourage all of you to go online, timesquarechurch.org, and, and listen to uh, Tim Delena, who is the new pastor there, who, if you read the cross on the switchblade, his dad was the policeman who said, let the man speak. When David Wilson came to New York all these years later, Tim Delena is now the pastor, an outstanding preacher and a fun preacher. Carter Conlon, who took over right after Brother Dave. What a pastor's pastor he is. Google his sermons, listen to those words, and learn. That's the church that David Wilkerson left. 
So I want to tell you, David Wilkerson started a lot of things. I could talk to you about He started Cure, which was like a Christian version of the Job Corps back in the 60s. He certainly was a part of starting Christian Rehab. Today in Alabama, there's 35 Christian rehabs in the state that are part of AACRM, Alabama Association of Christian Recovery Ministries. Every single one of them claims their spiritual lineage through David Wilkerson. The Association of Gospel Rescue Missions, which is nationwide, includes over 2,000 ministries. Almost everyone, everyone that I know of, claims their lineage through David Wilkerson. God used him in so many ways. But I'll tell you in closing, three simple things I learned from Brother Dave that you can apply to your life. You may been, never write the cross on a switchblade, you know. Uh, you, you, you may never start a church. You may never go around the world preaching, but you can live for God right where you're at, and God can use you to make a difference right where you're at. So the first thing that I learned from Brother Dave, he loved people. It amazed me. There's some preachers, I don't think they like people. They just seem to be mean and busy and rude. Brother Dave loved people. At Times Square Church, you would always see people that were welcome there. When I worked for him at World Challenge, my office was a broom closet. It was just a little broom closet, but it was right at the bottom of the stairs, so I could see everybody came up the stairs to his office. I loved it. And during that time, it wasn't unusual. This is the 1980s. See, Andre Crouch, Keith Green, the guys from Second Chapter of Acts, uh, preachers, musicians, movie stars coming in to see him, and then it wasn't unusual to see a hitchhiker come in dirty with hay in his hair from sleeping outside. He loved people. And so if you want God to use you, you got to pray, God, give me a love for people. Somebody told me the other day, you'll never love God any more than the person you love least. you got to love people. Some are easy to love, some are not so easy to love. But the love of God shed abroad in our heart makes a difference. Also, number two, Brother Dave was a man of prayer. If you want God to use you, you better be a man or a woman of prayer. I'm thankful, glad, proud. Can you be proud and still be Baptist? That we have a prayer meeting on Wednesday night. We pray. If you don't come, come. You'll, you'll hear people pray. Some pray out loud. Some pray quietly. Some pray emotionally. Some pray passively. But they pray here. And Brother Dave, I'm telling you, he was a man of prayer. Years later, I had to meet John and Elizabeth uh, Cheryl, who helped write the book, The Cross of the Switchblade, as well as Corey Ten Boone's book, A Hiding Place, and Brother Andrew's book. God smuggler, prolific writers. They were on the staff at God Post Magazine. Just a couple of years ago, Miss Cheryl wrote her biography, All the Way to Heaven. Great, great, great book, ladies. Some of you girls looking for heroines. Uh, look no further than Elizabeth Sherilyn, read her book. And she said as she got older, she went back to these people she had written for that were still alive, people within Ten Booms ministry, people that were in Brother Andrew's ministry. She made it to Times Square Church and met Brother Dave still there. And she said, Brother Dave, you used to pray an hour every day. Do you still pray an hour? This is 40, 50 years later. And he said, I don't, I don't. And she said, oh, you're just like everybody else. Through the years they wane. He said, this is Times Square. This is New York. He said, I better pray four hours a day here. I won't make it. He was the most praying man I ever knew in my life. And not just by time, but by the depth of his heart. One time a Christian rock band came to see him, and Brother Dave asked me just to sit in with them. And I'll never forget, I was there with Bob Phillips, who was a graduate of Southern Seminary, one of the co-founders of Times Square Church. Later took over Wallace Henley at the Great Encourager Church in uh, Houston. Brother Bob was a great guy, so I'm just sitting there as an observer because the young rock and rollers got long hair there like me. I knew them, and so we sat down to pray, and Brother Dave just said, can we pray? 
And four and a half, five hours later, I was on my face, terrified to move. I thought, this is such a holy moment. I cannot even move. Brother David prayed with those groanings that cannot be uttered. I said, I've never, I've never done this today. Well, I'll tell you about one time I've heard somebody pray like that. My son, Winchester, one time I heard him praying, and I thought, he worked for Brother David. He's picked that up. Those two men that came, Brother David told them, don't, don't be in a Christian rock and roll band. God's called you to be ministers. Both of them pastor large, successful, influential churches to this day. Brother Dave loved people. He prayed. The last thing about him, I want to tell you, everything he did, he did for others because God had touched him. If you do it in your own flesh, you're going to wear out. You can have great plans and a great model, and it may be successful for a season, but eventually it'll get you. And Brother Dave was a man that believed in fresh manna from heaven. He believed in calling out to God. And really his sermons, I was thinking even last night, this morning, his sermons were only a public continuation of his private relationship with God. Whenever he preached publicly, you're going to hear what him and God have prayed about and conversed about and wrestled about for days and weeks and maybe months. And so his life came out of that kind of prayer. Sir Christopher Wren was a great architect in London. Uh, I bet you Alan and Allison took y'all like they took us to St. Paul's Cathedral there. Man, it's awesome. I know God don't live in a big building, but if he did, St. Paul would be a good place to start out. Beautiful church. And he built this church. He actually built over 50 churches in, in London during his lifetime, which was from 1632 to 1723. And St. Paul was his masterpiece. It has a huge dome with stained glass windows, and the light comes right down and right down. There's a circle, and in that circle is Sir Christopher Wren's epitaph. And it simply says, See momentum requires circumspice. The only reason I say that is because Gus uses Latin and Lonesome Dove. So I can use a little Latin there. I ain't that educated. But you know what it means? It means if you seek my monument, look around you. He's buried in the corner in that church. But if you seek my monument, look around you at St. Paul's Cathedral. Let me tell you, I've been to David Wilkerson's grave many times in Lindell, Texas. He's killed on April the 27th, the same day the tornadoes hit Tuscaloosa. And I was there at his funeral. I've been to his grave many times. I took some of my guys there at Christmas. And his grave simply says, a man who simply followed after the Lord's heart. That's his, a very simple, simple stone. And his epitaph says, a man who simply followed after God's own heart. But that is not Dave Wilkerson's monument. If you don't know what Dave Wilkerson's monument is, look in the eyes of millions of drug addicts and alcoholics who found hope through his message that then became my message and Kenny's message and Hosanna Holmes' message and Team Chandler. It's just the message that God loves you to change a drug addict. If you want to know what Dave Wilkerson's monument is, look at the orphans and widows he fed for decades upon decades. His ministry, please, Pastor Red, still feeds them to this day. If you want to see Dave Wilkerson's monument, look at the marked needle hands lifted up now in praise with the scars of needle marks lifted up to a man whose hand lift down with scars on their own. If you want to know what Dave Wilkerson's monument is, look at the hands once bound in cups now serving the cup of the Lord in little storefront churches and mission works. If you want to know what the monument of David Wilkerson was, look at a lost generation now seeking their own prodigals. That's his monument. 
If you want to see Dave Wilkinson's monument, that's the men and women of his place in Hosanna home. Thank you, guys. We got guys in the back. We got guys from other ministries that have been touched. That's his monument. If you seek Dave Williams' monument, that'd be me. Run off home to find him as a boy. Years later, did get preached for him a couple times. I hope he'd be honored by my humble life full of faults and failures. But somehow focused with that voice. God, God has called you, Rick. You have the unction, Rick. God, God, my Lord. And I hope we all learn from this fine man how to build a monument in our own lives. Not of pride and haughtiness, not looking into ourselves. But I hope we build a monument. I hope you crown it with a cross and fill it with the glory of God. And as many lost souls as you can reach in your life, let that be your monument. He left us the same.